Well, hello, Biltmore Church. It is so good to see you. Whether you are joining us online or here in person, I just want to acknowledge one thing from the onset, and that is that the gospel is a message, and as long as there is breath in our bodies, we're gonna continue to preach that message. And the church is a movement, not a building, and as long as there is breath in our bodies, we're gonna continue to see this movement move. Thank you so much for the way that you have embraced the mission over the past several months. It has been awesome to be a part of it. And I don't know about you, but I am grateful to be a part of this movement that is moving. So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to be in Philippians chapter three, and we're gonna be in verses 17 through 21, and we're gonna continue in our series, The Gospel Changes Everything. So if you wanna go ahead, I'll meet you there in just a moment. Activate your screens, open up your hard copies, or we're gonna have a big Jesus iPad up here on the screen for your joy. But just to go ahead and set up the the sermon tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna interact with a trend that has really taken off in our culture. And here's what it is, goals. So if you go on any social media platform and you look for the hashtag of goals, it's all over the place. Millions and millions and millions of people are talking about the goals that they have in their life. And what I wanna do is I just wanna give you a couple of, uh, I guess, lighthearted examples of some goals. We would look at these people and these outcomes and we would say, goals. So let me just go ahead and lead off with uh, the, the couple who's kind of got the fixer upper house in the background and they're holding up a sign. It's just picture perfect. And it says something along the lines of paid off like $90,000 worth of debt in two years. And we're all looking at this couple and we're like, how did you do it? Goals. Or can we talk about the mom at Target? Do you guys know about the mom at Target? Let me tell you about the mom at Target. The mom at Target has two Tasmanian toddlers who have effectively managed to turn the shopping cart into Sky Zone Trampoline Park. And not to mention there's one in the Ergo Baby, okay? And so this mom, she's by herself and she is killing it. I mean, her patience is getting assaulted, but somehow her resolve remains. Goals. I crossed the threshold of Target and I'm already fresh in the flesh. Victoria's like, go back to the car. Let me tell you about my favorite one. And it's the sweet old couple at Cracker Barrel. And some of you guys on the other side of this sermon, you already know what I'm talking about. The sweet old couple at Cracker Barrel, basically they're going to dinner at Cracker Barrel. It's about 3 p.m. And they're gonna gonna have breakfast for dinner. And on the way in, you can just tell that they're into each other. They're like in their late 80s, early 90s. They've been married for like 50 years. And they sit down and they're just locked in with conversation. And even on the way out, you can tell that he's still flirting with her and she still absolutely loves it. And we look at this couple and we're just like, goals. I wanna be where you are one day. Well, if you think about goals, it's all about where we wanna be someday. And so in Philippians chapter three, what the apostle Paul is doing is he is really detailing the goals of the Christian life. He's showing us these core attitudes and these core actions that we should all strive to emulate. And what, what we see whenever we zoom out from the, the letter uh, from Paul to the church at Philippi is, is we see that the theme of Philippians is Jesus. Uh, he is mentioned by name 41 times over the course of 104 verses. Uh, and Paul makes it very clear that the goal of life, let's just go ahead and get this out there. The goal of life is Jesus. 
He is the sum seat and center of everything that we ought to seek to gain and pursue. And whenever we, we think about what is it that I'm really going after in my life, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, over the course of my life, I want it to be said that I was going after Jesus. And so what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do is, uh, I'm so honored to be able to be your tour guide through this text today. But what I really am gonna seek to accomplish is I just wanna bring out, I wanna bring out two, uh, two ways that we can know and we can show that Jesus is the goal of our life. And that's what Paul's gonna show us. So in Philippians chapter three, let's go ahead and let's take a look. Verse 17, here we go. Brothers, join in imitating. That's a very important word. We need to underline that, make a mental bookmark. We're coming back to that. Imitating me and keep your eyes on those who what? Who walk according to the example you have in us. So I don't know about you, but whenever the apostle Paul says, hey, imitate me, it raises some questions in, in my mind, particularly, uh, why is it that, why is it that Paul wouldn't just say, Hey, imitate Christ. Why wouldn't he just go back to the source and the, and, and the wellspring of our salvation? And I think there's a couple of reasons why that is. First of all, it's because the gospel is not merely past tense, but if we understand the, the gospel properly, we will recognize that Jesus continued his work through spirit-filled men and women who yield to his will and, and pursue, his, pursue his ways. And the Apostle Paul, he's a great example of this. He's a great example of the present power of the gospel coming home in Philippi. But he doesn't just say, hey, look at me. He also says, hey, look at the examples in your church. Look at those who are walking after Jesus well. So one of the reasons why he doesn't just go and say, imitate Jesus, which that's ultimately what he's saying, is because he wants the Philippians to understand that the gospel is present tense. It's not just about something that happened in the past, it's about something that is happening in the present. And if you look at the, the way that Paul viewed his life, you know, either he was a madman or he, he, he really had understood something that we all need to know. And I think it's that he understood something that we all need to know. And that was that he understood that success in life looks like his life becoming a living reenactment, a, a, a literal retelling of the, the life and the love of Jesus. And so what is it that Paul is doing in Philippians 3.17? Well, he's basically, he's basically saying this, hey, I, I wanna invite you Philippians, and he's inviting us today to do this. And that is for us to uh, not imitate Paul because he's proud or because uh, he's perfect, but because he is pressing on to gain Christ, who is the goal of life. And you see, Paul, he was not just a church planter. He was that. He was not just a theologian. He was that. He was also a well-versed anthropologist, which means that he understood the inner operations of uh, humans. He, he also understood the way that we, we form and the way that we change. And there is a basic principle of anthropology that's coming out in Paul's intent right here, and it's this. We become as we behold. We become as we behold. And I'm gonna give you the most practical example that I can think of 
in this present cultural moment that we're all experiencing, and it's fear. Has anybody seen the bears lately here in Western North Carolina? Can we just talk about the bears? Let's just go ahead and get it out there. I mean, these, the, the boundaries have been blurred. The bears are buck wild. They're all over the place. They're on patios. There was a mama bear, I kid you not, I'm not sure where you're watching from online, but there was a mama bear here in Western North Carolina who commandeered somebody's personal patio and was feeding her cubs uh, in the morning. And I'm just like, I'm not even mad, I'm impressed. That's incredible. And then you've also, I mean, they're, they're all over the place. And I, I, I get it that you know, the coronavirus is scary, but we, can, we just need to talk about these bears because they're absolutely out of control. But more to the point, we become as we behold, right? You know, as whatever gets our attention is going to get our direction. And so a big question for us to consider is how do I live in victory over fear when everything around me is terrifying? I mean, if we think about it, if we look at the headlines, if we stay glued to social media, if we listen to all the gossip and the talk around the water cooler and uh, we just see the way that so many of the systems and the programs that we count on for, for hope and consistency are being canceled, how do we change? How do we walk in a a brave manner, worthy of the gospel? And I think Paul gives us the answer in Philippians 3.17. He's saying the way that you're gonna do that is by beholding those who are walking well as they are facing trouble and as they are facing trial. And so what we need to understand is that verse 17 is the foundation for applying verses 18 through 21. And before these populate on the screen, I just wanna go ahead and give a disclaimer. These verses that we are about to enter into are absolute holy ground. There's no way that we can read these in just an indifferent way. There's no way that we can enter into these verses and not feel something. And so Paul is about to launch into some heavy stuff and he's gonna give a courtside view at what it looks like for Jesus to be the goal of your life as you interact with this. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So what I want to do right here is I want to bring out the first big goal of the Christian life that we see in this text. And here it is. We want to strive to love more like Jesus. We want to love more like Jesus. If you go on and you you take a look at what we see in verse 19, we see that Paul describes the outcome of those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and let's take a look at this verse uh, and then we'll, we'll do a little bit of explanation. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And so how do we locate the love of Christ in these verses? Well, I just wanna show you a couple of ways that Paul is loving more like Jesus and how we can love more like Jesus in light of these verses. How did Jesus come? Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And so if you wanna know what loving more like Jesus looks like, it's going to look like these two virtues, grace, truth. And so what Paul does is he loves these, even these enemies of the cross 
with grace through his weeping. Through his weeping. Grace comes in the form of his weeping. And you might be asking the question, you know, um, what's up with the tears? Like, I mean, was, was Paul some crybaby? Was, was he just feeling sorry for himself? Was he hosting a pity party? Um, none of that. What we need to understand is that these are holy tears that are tinged with a burden for the broken that are pouring out of a heart that has been absolutely reconstructed and filled by the grace of Almighty God. Paul is moved. And here's what I want to point out, how Paul talks about his enemies. I don't know about you, but whenever I talk about my enemies, it's usually not with tears. Uh, it, it, it might be, it might be uh, with anger in my tone. It might be with frustration or irritation, but it's usually not with tears. But Paul's varsity right here, and that's why he can tell us to follow his example. He, he doesn't talk about them with vengeance. He doesn't talk about them with bitterness. But instead, he talks about them often and with tears. And so I would submit to you, church, that if you want to progress in your adoration of Jesus, then allow his tears to be your tutor. Consider what it was that was triggering Paul's tears. Consider what it was that was triggering Jesus's tears. Um, we have two accounts of Jesus shedding tears uh, on record in the gospel. There was likely more because he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but we have at least two occasions when we see him actually shedding tears. One, and bo both of these occasions, they have to do with the sting of sin, the, the sting of death, and the sting of hell. In John chapter 11, we see that Jesus arrives at the tomb of his friend who has just died. And everybody said, Jesus, you were too late. Jesus knew that he wasn't too late. In fact, he turned the funeral into a feast and he resurrected Lazarus. But what happened is Jesus saw his loved ones, fellow believers, Christ followers, experiencing hell on earth, and it crushed him. And it says that Jesus wept. Another time was when he was on his way into Jerusalem, uh, not long before he would face the cross and die for sinners. And he looks out over those who have rejected and resisted his message and his mission, and we see that he actually weeps. And I, I know that someone is listening to this sermon today and you're saying something along these lines. That's good and great, but I'm not a crier. And I, I, would, I would yield to you, that's, hey, that's, that's fair. Um, maybe that's not you, maybe that's not your style. Um, maybe it wasn't, it's just not in your nature to cry. Uh, maybe it wasn't a part of your nurture growing up. But I, I do want to invite you to consider something about our king. Uh, I, I want to invite you to consider this question, and here it is. Who was the most emotionally complete human being who ever walked the earth? It was Jesus. We understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And as, as men and women who are created in the image of Jesus, and his image is what we ought to pursue, and his love is what we ought to express, then I would submit to you that one of our goals in life, if we're gonna be like Jesus, is to actually go after the full range of emotions that we see expressed and experienced by our king. There were times when he was joyful. There were times when he was 
sad. There were times when he was angry. There were times when he was surprised. And if we really want to get a good theology uh, from scripture and from our master, that's not limited to the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, then we need to go after what we see Jesus doing. And right here we see Jesus weeping. Uh, But if we keep going in the verse, we see the love of Christ and the love of Paul coming home in the form of truth. And whereas we see grace through the weeping, we see truth through a very sober warning. And here it comes. In verse 19, Paul gives the brutally honest biography of an enemy of the cross. And what I I would encourage you just to consider as we're making our way through this verse, because it's weighty, it's heavy, uh, we've got to feel something when we do this. And here's what I, I, I would encourage you to really explore. Either this, either this verse, verse 19, either it was you or it is you. If it was you, that means that you have been born again to the living hope of the gospel. Praise God. But what you can experience as we read this verse is worship because you have been delivered from the destruction it describes. But you also could worry because there are those who have yet to be delivered from this destruction. And if this is you, uh, here's my prayer. My prayer is that the burden of sin would bear so heavy on you that before today is over, you would turn from your sin and you would trust in Jesus as your savior and as your king. Verse 19, here's what it says. It says that their end, the enemies of the cross, those who are cut off, their end is destruction. So Paul is talking about the just penalty for our rebellion against God. And it's eternity in hell. And despite what you hear at most funerals or what pop psychology tells you and preaches, Paul and Jesus, neither of them believe that it goes well for everyone forever just because. No, and I believe that we all have an allergy that flares up at this point, don't we? There's like this theological allergy that, that, that just starts to flare. And I would, I would be concerned if we're not concerned by this. I would be bothered if this didn't bother me. We're not supposed to like it, but we simply can't ignore it. And so what we see in, about the teaching of hell and what Jesus and Paul teach is hell is the teaching of God's just wrath applied to unrepentant, self-governed rebels forever, and I can hear the questions churning. Uh, The big one, and this is a very fair question, is how could a loving God send people to hell? That's a fair question. But I would also suggest that it's not even the fairest question. In fact, the fairest question is how could a just and holy God pardon even welcome guilty rebels into his presence forever. This is where we begin to understand the totality and the validity of this teaching. And I want to tell you how it is that he can welcome rebels into his presence forever. It's because on the cross, Jesus endured destruction for you and for me. Hanging there, Jesus took what only we deserve, and that's hell, so that we could get what only he deserves, and that is heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus literally became all of our, our past, our pain, and our problems. And because he became our past, our pain, and our problems, we can become his purity. Believe it or not, 
hell is actually one of the more convincing evidences of how much Jesus loves us. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. Uh, when, when Jesus cried out that God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell. If a model acquaintance denounces you or rejects you, it hurts. If a good friend does the same, the hurt is far worse. But if your spouse walks out on you saying, I never want to see you again, that is far more devastating. Keller goes on, the longer, deeper, and more intimate the relationship, the more tormenting is any separation. When Jesus was cut off from God, he went into, listen to this, the deepest pit and the most powerful furnace of suffering, one beyond all imagining. And he did it voluntarily. He did it for us. And if ever there were a case to cry, it is tears of joy over our deliverance from this terror. Or it's tears of sorrow over those who have yet to experience the deliverance from destruction. And I, I understand this is heavy. I get it. Maybe take a deep breath. Maybe just breathe in, breathe out. This, in no way, shape, or form is this going to satisfy all curiosity, all objections, and all questions. I do want to share with you a resource that might help, though. It's a book that we would commend. If you're curious about learning a little bit more about this, this tough teaching, uh, it's called Racing Hell by a Bible teacher named Francis Chan. And in that book, Chan basically explores more of the gravity of what the Bible teaches. And that would be a great resource for you to take a look at to learn a little bit more. But what we see is this is the outcome of rejecting Christ. But what are the goals and the attitudes that lead there? Well, verse 19 goes on and it says their God is their belly. And so basically what that's saying is that when your God is not Jesus, your God is your appetites, your desires, your cravings. Sin's favorite word is me, my, and I. If you wanna understand sin, just look at the, what is at the center of the letter? S I N S I N. It's all about me. And I don't know about you, but the residue of rebellion has a way of lingering over my life. Positionally, I've been forgiven. Positionally, Jesus is my king. He is. But practically, I, I, I like to pretend that I, I'm still wearing the crown. And Paul, in a couple, uh, in another letter to, to the Corinthians, he wrote that God gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. And I would submit to you that God gave me a note in my phone to keep me from becoming conceited. And what I mean by that is I literally have, and I'm not prescribing this, I'm not saying that you need to do this, but if you struggle with pride like me, maybe it might be a good idea. I have a note in my phone called times I was wrong. And I would love to be able to report to you that it's been a long time since I've actually had to make an entry in that note, but it's actually fairly recently. It was actually this week. And it's one of the ways that God likes to take me to the mat with the reminder that life is not about me. And so anytime that I am hoodwinked under this thought that life is about me, I'll just go in there and I'll be like, man, I just totally blew it right there. Sometimes it's silly. Sometimes it's something like I'm putting Eleanor's clothes on backwards and I try to fix it before Victoria sees because it's kind of embarrassing. Sometimes it's serious because I'm just acting like an absolute Pharisee. But there's no future in making life about us. Their God was their belly. Then it says they glory in their shame. This basically means uh, that they tolerate, even celebrate the things that Jesus died to cover and deliver us from. 
And then lastly, we see in verse 19, with mindset on earthly things. So here's, here's what Paul's saying. Unlike the, cross, the Christ follower who uh, makes, this, uh, makes this earth their temporary, their temporary dwelling place, the enemy of the cross is gonna make this earth their permanent dwelling place and they're gonna try to resist suffering and they're gonna look for a way to avail themselves of as much comfort and convenience and, as possible. And so uh, I think this would be a good time to address the question, what do we do about this? Like, what do we do about this? And I just want to give you something really practical. Uh, uh, several weeks back, a couple times throughout this series, Pastor Bruce has challenged us to identify one person who we are going to love and labor to bring to Christ over the course of the summer. I think now would be a great time to bring that up. Let me just go ahead and ask you, how's that going? And you're just like, ah, it's, uh, it's, maybe it's going well, maybe it's not going well, but let me give you something practical that ought to help. And this is just a, a, a way to, to kind of think about how can I, how can I bless people? How can I make a difference in the lives of those who are lost? Here it is, bless. Okay, what does B stand for? Begin with prayer. I've heard it said before that evangelism is talking to God about somebody and then talking to that somebody about God. If we really believe that the power to change is gonna come from God, we ought to begin with prayer. L stands for listen. Listen to them. What, what, what is it that they're saying? What is it that they're concerned about? What is it that they're interested in? And then E stands for engage. You know, have, have a meal with them. Be wise about it, but have a meal with them. Uh, listen, listen to what it is that's going on in their life. Get to know them. Uh, find out their kids' names. Uh, and then S stands for serve. Serve in some practical, visible way. Demonstrate the visible love of Christ in some practical way. And then the last S stands for share. Find a way to share your story of how God has transformed your life and is making you like him. And then find a way to share God's story with them, how he can do the same for those who have yet to surrender their lives to him. All right, let's take a look at these last two verses and then we've got one more big goal that I wanna bring out and then we will uh, we'll be done. But our citizenship is in heaven, this is verse 20, and from it we await... So who are we? We're citizens of heaven. Where are we headed? We're headed to heaven. What are we doing? We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I've gotta be selective about what I say at, at, at this point. And what I wanna bring out is just this idea of awaiting. So the, the next big goal that I want to put in front of us that we all ought to go after with all of our hearts is this. We all ought to long for more of Jesus. That ought to be the goal. And when we see this word await, that, that word in, in the Greek language, it means to eagerly long for. Who are, we're not eagerly longing for a, a, a place or a particular pleasure. We're, we're, we're longing for a person. And his name is Jesus, who's gonna make all things new. And what we see is that unlike the enemies of the cross, for those who have been rescued by the cross, our home is in heaven and our heart is with Jesus. I experienced this in a really 
incredible way over the course of this summer. And I would just go ahead and submit to you that, that God smiled on me really big when he gave me my wife, Victoria. Uh, we've been married for almost nine years and I, I would say that he smiled on me even bigger, uh, us even bigger when he gave us our beautiful baby girl, Eleanor. Uh, she is an absolute tidal wave of energy and it is amazing. But here's something just charming and convicting that she recently did when we were on vacation. So at the condo that we were staying at, uh, there's a pool, right? And we would go out to the pool all the time and we would spend a lot of our, a lot of our uh, time out, out there by the pool on vacation. And Eleanor is at this stage where if mommy or daddy are not doing whatever she is doing with her, then it's, then it's a completely compromised experience. It's not nearly as good as if mommy or daddy are right there with her in the action. And so there was this, there was a, this one day, it was incredible because there were so many people at the pool most times. There was this one day when she had the pool all to herself. I mean, like she, she could do whatever she wanted. And she had her floaties on, you know, we're, we're, we're poolside, we're watching her. She's right there, we're not in the pool, but it wasn't enough. She wanted her mommy to get in the pool with her. And it wasn't any, any, until that her mommy actually got in the pool with her that she had this joy. And I just want to show this to you. Okay, this was not the expression on her face before mommy was in the pool. I'll just say that much. But when mommy got in the pool, her heart's desire, then it was incredible. And here's what I want to say to you out of this. I'm getting tutored by a toddler in how to follow Jesus right now. I don't know about you, but the way that she was longing for her mommy in that moment is the way that I want to long for Jesus in every moment. I could have everything that this world could offer me, but without Jesus, it's just not enough. It's rubbish. Or I, I could have none of what this world would offer me, but with Jesus, it is enough. It's as the missionary Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Spoken from a man who understood the goal of life is Jesus. So if you would bow your heads. Before you leave tonight, before you log off, if you're watching online, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond if this message has moved in your heart in some way. Maybe you hear this and it's just laying heavy on your life and you've never embraced Jesus by grace through faith before. I just wanna invite you to do that right now. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. So I just wanna invite you, if that's you and you need to embrace Jesus, just pray this simple prayer out loud and from your heart right now. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and take complete control. I'm sorry for my sin and I'm thankful for your love. I am yours now, Jesus. And I will follow you. If you prayed that prayer, then I wanna invite you uh, to just send a simple text and it's text follow to 28282. And what, what that's gonna give us the opportunity to do is just to reach out to you this week to celebrate with you and point you to next steps on your faith journey. We're so excited about your commitment. And for the rest of us, I just wanna pray a prayer over all of us that we would make Jesus the goal of our life. Father, we must confess that there are times when our love and our longing are lacking. 
And thank you for this reminder from Paul, a man who made knowing you the goal of his life. And I, I pray that for, for, for the person who's on the other side of this, of, 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 of a screen or this sermon who feels distant from you, Lord, that that would change, that they would seek you now and live, that they would take a step closer to you. And God, that, that you would come to us like the, like the spring rains that water the earth as we respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.